Um, I don't know what struck you as you, uh, as you read that uh, passage. A couple of things struck me um, just as I was reading it through in the week. And one thing was, again, we noticed this last week, didn't we, in, in Mary's song, but it's again here, isn't it, in Zachariah's song, just the joyful tone of it. Um, um, and it's a, it's a song that praises God for what he's done. And that is evidently a joyful activity for Zechariah. Isn't it quite quite rightly? It just it was a reminder to me that that um, you know uh, God's people ought to be a people marked by joy, didn't we? Um, and and um, and that our songs too ought to reflect that. Um, the other thing that struck me about it um, was, uh, and I think this is true of all the songs of Scripture, really, is their is their depth. You know, their theological depth. These verses state powerful truths about who God is and what He's done. And, you know, whilst we need those songs of response, don't we, that, that express how we feel about God, I think those songs definitely have their place. I'm also really thankful for songs like, like this one here and songs that we sing and that speak deeply of who God is and what he's like and what he's done. Because songs are a powerful means of communication, aren't they? I think we tend to remember the words of what we sing perhaps more than the words that we we read very often. So we want the content of those words, don't we, to be rich and deep truth, truth that will encourage us and grow us uh, in him. And, and that's, I think, what we've got in front of us this morning. Of course, it's the second uh, of uh, this little series uh, of three in the, in the lead up to Christmas, looking at what we might loosely call, what I've called anyway, kind of the first Christmas playlist, if you like, those songs for a saviour. Um, that we find at the beginning of Luke. Um, and we started last week, didn't we, with Mary's song in, in verses 46 to, to 55, where, where Mary uh, magnifies the Lord, that he has both saved her and, and also redeemed his people. And, and this morning we're going to be looking at, at, at this song, at Zechariah's song in, in, in 67 to 79 that we've just read together. But let's just try and set the scene again um, for it, because this this burst of praise by Zechariah, it actually follows on from nine months of total silence by him. If, if you glance back to, to earlier in the chapter, you'll see that, that, well, you'll see that Zechariah is a priest and married to Elizabeth. We see that in verse 5. Um, we see that they're a godly couple, verse 6, um, but they have no children. And that's both because Elizabeth is unable to bear children and also because, they're verse 7, they're kind of getting on a bit. Um, so there's that. Um, and, and, and then Zechariah is given this kind of once-in-a-lifetime opportunity as a priest to go and offer incense in the temple, verse 9, uh, when he's visited by an angel, a messenger from God, who's come to tell him the good news that his prayer has been answered, verse 13, and Elizabeth is to bear him a son whom they are to call John, and who will be set apart for the service of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth, or from the womb, in fact, to be a prophet who will call God's people back to himself and prepare them for the Lord. Verse 17, which admittedly is quite a lot to take in, isn't it? It's like, whoa, okay. But how does he respond? Notice that he responds by not believing what the angel says. Verse 18, he demands more evidence. Instead, he knows how old they both are. He knows how often they've tried for kids in the past and had no success. So despite the fact that he's had an angelic visitation to tell them this, he's kind of refusing to believe it without some more evidence. And the angel gives him the evidence that he wants, but at the same time, it's a punishment. It's a punishment for his disbelief, isn't it? God strikes Zechariah dumb, 
verse 20. He's unable to speak until the time when these events have come true. And so as we come kind of towards our verses now, um, Zechariah has had nine months of silence. He's had nine months of being unable to speak. He's had nine months in which to reflect on his disbelief. He's had nine months to be reminded as Elizabeth's stomach gets bigger and bigger that what God says he will do, he will do. Until, verse 60, a son is born to them, just as the angel said, and and they come on the eighth day to to circumcise him in the temple, where the expectation is that this little chap will be named Zechariah after his dad. But unusually, Elizabeth says, no, you've got to call him John, which is odd because it's not a family name. And so they look to Zechariah for confirmation. And Zechariah, who's still not speaking at this point, takes a writing tablet, verse 63, and he writes, his name is John. And as he does that, verse 64, acting not, of course, now in disbelief, but in belief, in trust, in obedience, his silence is lifted and he praises God. That's an amazing context for these verses, isn't it? And which are both a hymn of praise, but also, under the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they're words of prophecy. And, and that means they're words, of course, packed full of spiritual insight. Did you notice, even though he's describing here events that are still to take place, that he speaks about them in the past tense? Did you notice that? So verse 68, for example, he has visited and redeemed his people. You see, so confident now is Zechariah that what God says he will do, he will do, that that he's got the confidence to describe the work that the Messiah will come to do as though it were as good as done already. And what I'd love us to do is just look through this song together and ask three questions of it. Maybe they're questions that you might want to ask about the Christian faith. Um, maybe there are questions that you might like an answer to this Christmas, in fact, as you, as you ponder on what it all means, what it's all for. Here's the three questions I'd love us to ask of this passage. What has God done? How has God done it? What will it achieve? So let's ask the first one. Look at verse 68. What has God done? Verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So Zechariah is is praising God here because God has visited and redeemed his people. So although he's speaking in the past tense because he considers it as good as done already, he's clearly looking forward, isn't he, to what's going to happen as the Messiah, who is already growing in, in Mary's womb, as we saw last week, is born into the world. In other words, this birth of Jesus is nothing less than a visitation of God into our world. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited. (laughs) But not only is the birth of Jesus a visitation of God into the world, but it's a visitation of God as redeemer, right? as the one to redeem them, the one to set them free. What, What does he mean by that? What kind of... Freedom, does Zechariah have in mind here? Is he talking about freedom from sin? Um, Is he talking about freedom from political oppression? Some people have tried to argue that from these verses because, of course, the Israelites were, weren't they, at the time, under Roman occupation. So, you know, it was a bit like back in the days of Moses in the Old Testament, only their oppressors this time were not the Egyptians, they were the Romans. 
And so the redeeming that Israel really longed for at this time was not really a spiritual one, freedom from sin. What they really longed for at that moment was freedom from the Romans, right? Freedom from their oppressors. So I guess in one sense it's not surprising that some people have concluded that that's what Zechariah must have in mind here, a a Messiah who will redeem his people from their political oppressors. But I don't think it's hard to see that that isn't what he's got in mind at all, is it? Because if you look in verse 67, uh, it says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit and, and that Luke calls this song prophecy. In other words, it's speech from God, right? It's speech that God is inspiring. And then later on, if you look down to verse 77, uh, we can see that this, this is redeeming from sin. It's spiritual redemption that is very much in view, isn't it? As he describes the role of John, paving the way for this Messiah by preaching a message of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Do you see that? So clearly, it's, it's salvation from sin, isn't it? That Zechariah's got in mind. Christ's reason for coming into the world was to redeem us, to buy us back from our slavery, our bondage, to sin. Right? It's like Paul puts it in, in Ephesians 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. So, friends, what has God done in Jesus? Well, he's visited. In the birth of the Lord Jesus, we see God himself visiting our world and visiting it in order to redeem in order to buy his people back from their bondage, their slavery to sin. So that's what he's done. But then ask the second question, kind of verses 69 to 73. How has he done it? Okay, and I think there's several things that we ought to see. The first one is that he's done it by raising up a saviour. You see that, verse 69? And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of of his servant David. And when you see that word horn there, don't think, you know, don't think musical instrument, that kind of thing. Think, think the horns of an ox, as it were, which was the, the, the animal's weapon, right? Or think about the horns on the helmet of a soldier, you know, which is kind of a sign of his strength in, in battle. In other words, a horn in, in the Old Testament, it was a symbol of power or, or a symbol of victory over your enemies, symbol of strength. And and that phrase there, horn of salvation, is also used in Psalm 18. Do you remember we we read it at the beginning of the service? It's David's psalm of praise to God, isn't it? For saving him from the clutches of Saul, his enemy. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Yeah, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And David's point there is that God is to him what the horn is to the animal. Right? It's his strength, his weapon. And so Zechariah, here, speaking of the promised redeemer, uses the same phrase as, as he praises God. God's raised up a, a horn of salvation for us. In other words, he's raised up a strong, a powerful saviour by, by whom he'll redeem his people. And God has raised up this powerful saviour, verse 69, in the house of his servant David. So notice here who Zechariah is praising God for after these nine months of silence because he's not praising God for the birth of his own son, is he? John's not been born from the line of David. In fact, he's been born from the line of Aaron, hasn't he? He's a a temple priest. Now, Zechariah 
is praising God for the coming of Jesus, for the coming of the Messiah, the powerful saviour to be born from the line of David, you see? So God has redeemed his people by raising up a saviour. But notice that he's raised up a saviour as he said he would. In in other words, the the, the saviour that God has raised up is none other than the one that God had promised would come. Verse 70, from the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. So this is the one, you know, the promised Messiah that the Old Testament prophets said would come. Right, and we could think, for example, of Isaiah, couldn't we? Prophet Isaiah, who said, what was it, 600 years or more before Jesus was born, that this Messiah would be born, uh, he would reign on David's throne, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. That's Isaiah 9. Or we could go back even further than that, couldn't we? I think verse 69 here suggests that uh, Zechariah's thinking of God's promise to David way back in, in 2 Samuel 7, when, when God spoke to Samuel through um, uh, spoke to David, sorry, through the prophet Nathan, do you remember? And, and said, your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. You see the point? God is redeeming his people through the raising up of a powerful saviour as he said he would. A, a saviour that's been a long time coming. Right? A saviour that from way back God had promised he would send. And then lastly, look, verse 71, uh, a saviour who will deliver his people. uh, That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And and as we said, that word saving there, that deliverance is deliverance from sin, isn't it? It's like the angel said to Joseph, if you remember Matthew 1. Uh, she will bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And, and so the, the enemy that Zechariah here un, under the, the Spirit's uh, influence, the enemy that Zechariah has in mind is the enemy of sin. You know, that, that means um, our own desire to rebel against the God who made us or, or to live in ways that are abhorrent to a holy God. Uh, and, and also, I think there's a reference to the enemy of Satan and his forces of evil there who, who constantly battle against us and seek to lead us away from God. These are the enemies of God's people and so the ones against whom God has raised up a redeemer, okay, a powerful saviour, someone who will deliver God's people from the clutches of sin. And this act of the saviour to bring salvation to his people shows again that what God said he will do, doesn't it? He promised Israel's ancestors long ago that he would show mercy, verse 72, and here he is fulfilling that word in sending a saviour. You know, he swore an oath to Abraham, verse 73, and through him gave covenant promises to his people. Here he is fulfilling those promises through the sending of Jesus. You see, friends, this is the message of Christmas, isn't it? Right? This is what Christmas is all about. Right? It's it's why our society's trajectory of increasingly stripping Christ out of Christmas so that all you've got left is a you know, like a winter holiday where people put up too many lights on their house and too much food in their stomach. Right? It's why that trajectory is just so tragic. Because there is a definite content to Christmas. 
right? It's a message of great news for all the earth. The message that in Christ Jesus, born in a stable in Bethlehem, God has come and visited his people. And he's come to buy them back from their slavery to sin. And he's done it by raising up a powerful saviour, a rescuer, just as he promised he would right through the scriptures. A saviour who will deliver his people from their sins. And friends, if you this morning don't yet know for yourself this powerful promised saviour, if you don't know him yet as your saviour, I would urge you without delay to turn to him. To let him deliver you from the enemy that is your sin. And just accept the gift of salvation, of rescue that he he brings you this Christmas. Um, I remember many years ago now doing a a, a climb on a a mountain in in North Wales. um, When a a mountain rescue helicopter kind of came around the side of the mountain where I was kind of perched part way up this climb. And the sudden sound of this helicopter, you know, and it's, it's rotating blades and whatever. It took me by surprise, scared the living daylights out of me, to be honest. And, and I was not amused with the helicopter pilot, okay? If I'd have had a hand free, I might have kind of shaken it at him, you know, told him to clear off and leave me alone. <laughs> but, you know, if, instead of being safe on my climb, I'd been in trouble, you know, if I was in need of rescuing, I would have really appreciated the sign of that helicopter. That's what it's like, isn't it? We've got no appreciation for something if we don't think we need it. Right? We don't value being offered rescue if we think there's nothing wrong. And friends, the world is full of people who look at the Christ in Christmas as just like an offer that no one needs. You know, something of little value, something that can be can be safely dispensed with for the sake of a bit of political correctness right and an offer of rescue that can be safely discarded because we think we're just fine as we are but friends the god of the bible tells us that we are sinners in desperate need of a savior the the apostle paul puts it quite bluntly doesn't he in romans 3 he says there's no one who's righteous not even one right all have turned away all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and, and, and he goes on to talk about the punishment for our sin being death. That's Romans 6, isn't it? The wages of sin, what sin earns for us, is death. Friends, we dare not kid ourselves that we are people who do not need a saviour. Because when we know our sin, when we know our need of a saviour, we will look at what God has done, won't we, with, with new eyes. Right? We'll, we'll, we'll be like Zechariah here in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel because he's visited and redeemed his people. And he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and the hand of, of those who hate us. You see? What has God done? He's come to redeem his people. How has he done it? He's done it by raising up a saviour, just as he said he would. Uh, And then lastly, look, 74 to 79. What what will it achieve? 
this, this rescue plan, you know, this plan of salvation, what will it accomplish? Well, well, first, look, verse 74, 75, it will enable us to serve him. Okay, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Do you see, that's the, that's the kind of salvation that Christ brings. He rescues his people so that they may serve him. Right, God saves for service. Right, we, we've seen in, in verse 73 that the, the coming of the Saviour is in fulfilment of God's promises to, to Abraham back in the Old Testament. It's about God creating a people who will serve him in the world. And, and because of what Christ has done in, in delivering his people from the enemy of their sin and setting them free, verse 74, that they're able to serve him without fear. Right? In other words, our bondage to sin is over. Christ has delivered us. And so our service of God is not fearful service. It's joyful service. And it's service, verse 75, that reflects not just what we do, but what we're like. In other words, the service that we, uh, it's service that we perform with an attitude, verse 75, of holiness and righteousness. A service that displays in us the character of God himself. And friends, that's what genuine salvation will result in, won't it? Genuine salvation achieves a people who are set free from their bondage to sin, not in order to go off and carry on serving themselves, but rather a people who will gladly, joyfully serve him, serve their saviour, serve the one who's redeemed them, Seek to carry out his will, display his character in their lives and and so on. Such that through their words, through their living, they'll lead a watching world back to its God. Friends, that's the cry of Zechariah's heart here. After nine months of silently watching God fulfilling his word. Can I ask, is is that the cry of your heart as well? Having learned of what God has done in raising up a saviour, is your response like Zacharias? Is your response, Lord, help me serve you without fear in holiness and righteousness all my days? Is that your heartbeat? Because, friends, we know, don't we, that the test of the genuineness of our salvation is the fruit that it produces. Genuine salvation, what Christ achieves, what it accomplishes, is a soul that's saved to serve his Lord. What else will this plan of salvation achieve? Well, look, in verse 76, ha, verse 76, for the first time in this song, Zechariah actually makes mention of his own baby son. Have a, have a look, verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So he spells out the role that his son John will have in all of this. He's going to be the messenger. He's going to be the one who will go before the Lord and prepare the way for him. 
But notice that in, in telling us of John's role, he's also telling us something else about God's plan of salvation and what it's going to achieve, isn't it? That's verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So God's plan of salvation achieves forgiveness of sins. And that, that's why John is sent as a messenger. It's to tell the people that the Savior is coming. And then to prepare them for his arrival by calling them to turn away from their sin. And turn to God for the forgiveness of their sin. Do you see? In other words, friends, if we want to be put right with God. If we want to be considered his friends and not his enemies. Well, that salvation comes only through the forgiveness of our sins. And that's something that God does freely. When we come to him in repentance and trust. And God has achieved that by raising up a horn of salvation, a powerful saviour. A saviour who's crushed sin and its hold over us. So that we can be set free from it in order to serve him. So God's plan of salvation, what's it achieved? It's achieved a people to serve him. It's achieved forgiveness of sin. And and then lastly, look, 78, 79... It's achieved the dawning of a new day. Right? Have a look at verse 78. Look where where Zechariah says that because of the tender mercy of God, what he calls the sunrise will visit us from on high, from heaven. In other words, because God is merciful, the Savior's coming, it's like a sunrise coming to a dark world. Right? It's like a new day dawning. And I'm sure, you know, Zechariah knows that his salvation is promised in the Old Testament by the, by the prophets. I'm sure he's thinking of the prophet Isaiah here. Do you remember um, Isaiah 60? Um, first couple of verses. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen Upon you. Friends, if we are living without Christ, we are living in darkness and we're living with the shadow of death hanging over our heads. Our sin renders us people of darkness. But salvation in Jesus brings light to those in darkness, it brings peace to those who are living in the shadow of death. Right? Salvation achieves the dawning of a new day right? for those who turn to Christ. Do you see, no wonder Zechariah is praising God. You know what, what joy has gripped his heart over these nine months of silence. What, what glorious truths he's now setting out in this, this song of praise. What a wonderful gift is this plan of salvation. Friends, the message of Christmas is contained in this song. And in these three questions that we've asked of it today, what has God done? He's come to redeem his people. How has he done it? He's done it by raising up a powerful saviour, just as he said he would, a saviour to deliver his people from their sins. And what has this saviour achieved? Well, he's gathered a people to serve him and a people to whom he has brought forgiveness of sins. And the dawning of a new day. And friend, if you want real joy, not the empty joy of society's Christmas, 
But if you want a real joy-filled Christmas, my plea is that we don't discard all of this like an unwanted gift that we think we don't need. But rather that we recognise our sin. That we recognise our great need of a saviour. And so turn to God in repentance, in trust, and accept his free gift. And know the most joyful Christmas you'll ever know. Should we pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for um, just showing us in this song the, the message of Christmas, the, the message that in Jesus you've come to redeem your people by raising up a saviour, a saviour to bring forgiveness for that sin that just separates us from you by, by forgiving us for it as, as we turn and trust in your son and, and so setting us free to serve you. Father, especially this morning, if we are not yet truly trusting in Jesus for our salvation, would you please lead us there? Would you lead us to turn and trust in him today? And we pray it all in Jesus' name.